I good? Okay. Good morning. Well, that died quickly. I, I was going to say I love this, the spirit in, in this room. is really refreshing. And then I think I just killed it. Um, let's, let's stand. And I just wanted to say um, an online welcome. We are really, really excited that you guys are here and joining us. Even if it's online, there's, don't think that you're less than. I mean, we, we, we love you guys just the same. And we are just really excited that you choose to be a part of this body this morning. So we're just going to sing, sing about the sovereignty of Jesus and of the Father. And just to remind you that if you're feeling unseen, he still sees you. Our Father knows you and he sees you and he created you before you were even thought of to be born. And so we're gonna, we're gonna speak into the sovereignty of, of our Father this morning. So Jesus, come take your place in this room. Come take your place on our hearts. Father, we love you so much. So this morning, just deepen that love. Take us to a place that we've never been with you, Father. And just remind us individually how much you love us and that you will never, never leave us. And all we have to do, Father, is take your hand and the places that we'll go with you, I can't even fathom.
morning church isn't that good news that he doesn't miss a thing some of us as a as a body in this house there's been a man a lot going on but let us rest assured that he doesn't miss a thing and that his hand isn't too short and his ear isn't too deaf and that there is indeed a living God who this morning wants to continue to meet with you if you're new to us and you don't know who I am, my name is Becky. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. I've also been hiding out in kids' life with some of your children, your grandchildren. And let me tell you, they encourage my faith, I tell you what. So I'm stepping out to have a moment with you guys because I've just missed your faces. Let's be real. And uh, if you're new to us, I want you to know that new life is a movement of hope for the city and beyond. A heart to raise up generations of Jesus followers. And every service, we will take time to do an extension of our worship in the form of our giving. And so our giving is simply a response to the goodness and grace of God in our life. This can be done through tithes and offering God's word. It's what teaches us um, that this is the way we worship, is bringing him our 10% of our income. And when we give above and beyond our tithe, it's also called an offering. And it's an overflow of our heart. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So giving simply turns our attention and all of our affection and devotion of our hearts towards a God. It attaches us to him. Generosity is really the heart of a disciple. And as a church, that's what we're moving forward to, making our ki- having our kids be raised up ourselves, the heart of a disciple, and we love to give. And those of you who have been continue, continually giving, I just want to uh, continue to thank you for partnering up, for one, with what Jesus said, and then we get to partner in together in that. Um, so I'm going to pray for you really quick, and then we're going to get back into worship. There's also four ways to give. There's our mailbox, our giving box, our website, and our church app. If you need help with any of those things, find me. Um, find anyone outside at our info booth. They can help you uh, get all that stuff done. So let's pray and get back into another extension of our worship. So Jesus, we love you with our whole hearts. I'm grateful that you don't miss a thing. For those of us who feel like you're far away and for those of us who know you're right and breathing on our necks, God, I thank you that you indeed don't miss a thing. So, Father, as you are watching us being cheerful givers, shifting our attitude to your way, your will, your thoughts as they are higher and better than anything we could have ever come up with. So we say yes and amen to your plan today. And, Father, if there's anything in us, that is keeping us from the goodness of who you really are, I ask that you remove it in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words. Say, I need you more than ever before. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words could say.
Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets, me he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and your mercy fall. 
Let's just take a minute. Let's just take a moment. Whatever fight you're in, whatever battle you're going through, whatever struggle you're having right now, just call upon God. Cast your care on Him because He cares for you. Come on, let's just take a moment. Just take a moment. Bow your heads if you need to. Lift your hands if you need to. Shout it out if you need to. your presence today we don't we need to be together we need to be together as a people but we need you here with us so we're going to give you some praise for a moment we're going to thank you for being so good to us we're going to thank you for being so gracious and kind we're going to thank you for being so loving we're going to thank you for comforting us in difficult times we're going to thank you for being there in the valley of the shadow of death. Give him a moment of praise. Father, we love you and we're grateful. And as we go from giving you praise, hearing from us, you hearing from us, we need to hear from you. Open our hearts to that voice, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Let us hear what you have to say to us today, that we may encounter the one true God and feel the love that you have for us. Encourage our hearts today. We love you and we need you. And all God's people said, y'all may be seated. Y'all, you think I'm a southerner. Christine's doing everything today, so just so you know. She's going she's gonna to come down here and preach in a minute. She wants to really bad. That's a joke. You got to know, Christine. I injured myself in September of this last year. And I was gone for months, it seemed like. And when I came back, I felt like I was two months behind where you guys were. And I was just thinking as we were doing worship, I think, I think I'm finally just one week behind you. I felt like this week there was some things that were going on within uh, the church with people and just difficult struggles. And I've got a series that we're going to go into next week on um, trauma. I don't know how long it's going to last. It may be one week. It may be all year. 
depends on how much trauma you have. Um, but we're going to try to process some of the trauma and kind of find out what God's doing and why he's doing it. Because some of you have been suffering and struggling. Amen? You've gone through some difficult times. So we want to try to address that the best we can, but that's next week. And I was just thinking in the worship set, this would have been a great week to start. God wouldn't let me, so blame it on him. We've got to finish out, right, guys? We can't leave the guys out of the We Are family. By the way, we have a baptism today down at the uh, boat ramp. And what's cool is one of my deacons had to work today, and one of my deacons is sick today. And so the dad gets to baptize the son. Amen. And he's never done it before, and he's excited, and I'd be scared to death, but he's excited. And we're excited for him. So we're going to finish our series on family. I'm going to finish it a little bit differently than I thought. This was not the plan. But it's just kind of what came to me this week. Give you a little background about myself. Growing up, I watched a lot of westerns and military movies. Most of which were produced in the 40s and 50s. Which was only 20 years from when I was born, so shut up. And there was something about the culture of that day. Because movies and entertainment in that day, and actually even to this day, really reflects what the culture believes. And so a lot of the things that are going on in our movies today, our entertainment, really is reflective of what the culture is like, what our world is like. And in the 40s and 50s, there was a code for men that went like this. To be a man, it meant that you were, I'm sorry, that you were brave, loyal, and trustworthy. These were the men who came out of World War II and experienced what manhood was, and they began to have this code uh, of, of being a man. When you were wrong, the code was you owned up to it and you took your punishment like a man. I heard that from my father so many times. You never took advantage of a woman. That was the culture of the day. You just did not take advantage of a woman. Women could feel safe around men. As a husband, you provided for and protected your wife and children. You didn't leave that to somebody else. You didn't leave that to anybody but, but yourself. That was your job, and you did it well. You were gracious in victory, and you were a good sport in defeat. It wasn't all about winning. It really was how you played the game. It's a different time. Your word was your bond, and if you just shook hands with a man, that was your word, and you kept it. You were bound to the words that you said. It wasn't how, whether you won or lost, it was how you played the game that mattered. And when the ship went down, it was women and children first, and you backed away with a smile and a wave. Not whining and crying and complaining because you've got to suffer death at times. It did become every man for himself. And I see that a lot in our culture. In a fight, you never shot someone in the back. 
or you were a coward. And if you ran from a fight, you were yellow. I watched a, a movie called Springfield yesterday, and I, I thought it was hilarious that, that one of the main characters was, he ran from a fight, and so they put a yellow stripe down his back. We need more of that. We need to bring that back. <laughs> this isn't how young men are raised today. There's almost no personal accountability at all. We can blame everyone for everything that's gone wrong in our life, and we do so when, when it works for us. We even, it's almost become something that you respect everyone's way of doing things, even if it's wrong. Like, you can't say something's wrong anymore because there is no absolute truth, and we're teaching our young men that they can do whatever they want and get away with it, and it's okay because it's their truth. Amen, that was fun. This is not a sermon anybody wants. You guys want me to go back to trauma. Young men are not taught to respect any authority that holds them accountable. I see that clearly in the school districts. How children may be in the wrong, maybe not in the wrong, but most of the time if they're in the wrong, parents will bail them out and blame the school district for what's going on. I've seen this transition uh, where the code that used to be lived by is not lived by any longer, even in military men. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form. Please do not take it as that. But there was a time, I've been in ministry long enough, that there was a time when you had a military man in your church, he knew how to respect authority. And he knew how to serve. And he knew how to give his life for other people. That's not the same today. All the military men are mad at me. It's true. My father was a lieutenant in the United States Army Air Corps. And he was taught a code on how men were supposed to be. And he taught us that code. To be brave. To be loyal. To be trustworthy or worthy of trust. He also had another code that was added to that code. And that was the code of the Christian man which included everything that Jesus taught. And we were held to that code. I, I remember my brothers and sisters doing something wrong because I never did anything wrong. <laughs> and being brought before my father, and he opened up the word of God and said, this is what the Bible says on that subject. And I watched them squirm and cry and repent. But he used the word of God as the code. In the family, it was that code that we were all held accountable to. And it meant that if you broke the code, the community that you were in, my father, would hold us accountable. Usually in ways that are not possible today because they'll put you in jail. <laughs> there was a code that men lived by that the community hold, held them accountable to. And if you stepped outside of that code, there were people in that community would call you out on breaking the code. If you were yellow, you were yellow. And they called you such because you were yellow. If you shot someone in the back, 
You were always a backstabber. I use that term. That's the best way I can do it. You were always thought of as the negative that you were because you did something that was against the code. And I think some of you will not like today's sermon. But I think we need to get back to a code. In Joshua chapter 24, the children of Israel had been powerfully experiencing God. If you want to go back at some other time and read Joshua chapter 24, you'll see that God reminded them of their humble beginnings. They were uh, nobody living nowhere, serving no gods. They were serving false gods. God revealed himself to Abraham and brought them out of that land and brought them into the promised land. And Abraham's people were going to become God's people. And no matter what promise God made, he kept his word. He held to his own code. But in seasons of doubt, the people of God at that time broke the code, not trusting God's word, and entered into Egypt, leaving them with no gods at all, but false gods. Out of love, because that is who God is, by the way. Out of love, God delivered them from the bondage of that false gods and destroyed their enemies. You know, that's what God does for us all the time. He'll, exp he'll um, make us experience him in ways that just make us go, wow, God is awesome. And then we'll fall back away from him and break the code and then be upset when he calls us back to that code. Every promise God made, God kept. Everything that God said, he held to his own word. And in there, in that time as Joshua chapter 24, God is reminding them of all that he's done. I mean, has God ever broke his word for you, broke his promise to you? He can't. It's impossible for God to lie, the Bible says. He can't break his code. Every promise he makes, he makes for you. We're going to talk about that a lot next week. So God gave Joshua a word for them to live by, and it was this, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness, but put away the gods of your father, that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. It's simple code. It's a simple word. Fear the Lord, meaning obey him and have respect for his word. Like if God says that have enough respect for God to realize that he's better than you, more pure than you, more powerful than you, more knowledgeable than you. And when he gives us a word to live by, it's because it's the best way for us to live life. Amen. Serve him in sincerity. Like, be sincere. Be honest. Be truthful. Like, if you're going to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a follower of God, live like one. And in faithfulness. And I thought about this. Live life so that you can be trusted by God. See, we live in a world where we think we have the right to trust God or not. Have you ever thought that maybe you need to be trustworthy to God? Can God trust you? He's never lied. He's trustworthy. He's worthy of our trust. But are we trustworthy for God to trust us? 
That's a whole sermon all to itself. And he said, put away your false gods, gods that you worshipped in Egypt. And here's the false gods that they worshipped in Egypt. Because there, was, there were ten of them that I'm going to mention. And I think I've got, I think I've got eight or nine. I just cherry picked. There were the false gods of prosperity, meaning that we lived for riches. How many of you live for riches? Derek shared last week in the offering that you can't serve God and money. Yet how many of us try to serve both? Oh, that's fun. They're the gods of fertility or the gods of sex. It's amazing to me how many marriages are destroyed because of the sexual problems that we're having in our country. The perversion of sex. There were the gods of health. And I thought about this from an exercise standpoint. It's good. Now, none of these things are bad in, in and of themselves. They're only bad when we worship them and make them more of a god than God himself. But didn't Paul say that God's strength is made perfect in weakness? And I'm trying to live by that. I'm telling my wife that next time she wants to exercise. I'm just trying to make God glorified through my weakness. There were the gods of healing. And at this day and age, there were false teachers about healing. And there were the gods of medicine, health care. Can I tell you something about health care? Because I've, I've been using a lot of it lately. They're still practicing. I've had the same pain since September, and now they're trying new things. Like, they just keep coming up with something new to try. Let's try this. It's like I'm their experiment. I'm not saying don't trust healthcare, don't trust doctors. I'm not saying that God gives them wisdom and ability and, and, and capability. But don't worship them. Don't think they're going to be your savior when God's promised to be your savior. Because they can break their word. God can't. They're the gods of the climate. Worshipping. I'm just saying, that's what they did. I'm not, hey, listen, we should be taking care of what God gave us. And not be irresponsible. But let's not worship it like it's a god. Amen. That was fun. Okay, let's move on. They're the gods of creation. That's man's belief system. We, we keep worshipping things that men come up with. And they're just things that men made. And God gave them the brains to do it. So we should be giving him the glory, not the man that created it. Okay, that was fun. They're the gods of procreation. We worship children. I am shocked by the number of children that are worshipped as gods in, in this culture today. Okay. God proved it through ten plagues that none of these were true gods. They were false gods. And that doesn't mean they're not good things or they're not great things. But they are not God things. And Israel began to continue to worship these false gods while worshiping the one true God. So there was this mixture of worship. And that's what I'm seeing today. There are believers who claim to worship the one true God. And yet they also worship all these little false gods. And you're trying to blend your faith with the earth. So Joshua was led by God to call them back to the word. Or let's, instead of the word, let's just use the code. 
the thing that God's expected us to live by, and that's his word. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 says this, and I'm going to have to put my glasses on because I cannot see. Oh. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if you think it's wrong to serve God over these other false gods, if you think it's wrong, choose you this day whom you'll serve. God gives you an out. God is giving you an out. You do not have to obey the code of the word of God. You do not have to live by the word of God. You do not have to. But if you're not going to, don't even say you're trying to. That was fun. This is getting more fun as we go on. I, and I've got like 18 pages and a baptism to do today. <laughs> well, I'm not doing the baptism. I'm watching somebody get in the cold water wall. <laughs> Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, as for me and my house, Joshua, as the man of the house, Joshua, as the leader of the home that God made him to be, said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It wasn't an option for the children. It wasn't an option for the rest of the family. It wasn't an option for the wife. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I wonder how many men have made that statement in their life. I know you don't want to go to church today, honey, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, verse 25 says this. So Joshua made a covenant with the people and put statutes and rules for them at Shechem. That's the code. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up under the terabith, which is a big oak tree. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. It was recognizable. It was easy to find. We'll talk about the large stone in the end. Joshua made this covenant with the people. And they made a covenant with him. And said we're going to obey the word of God. We're going to obey the code. We're going to live by the code. And they as a community. They as a assembly. They as a group. They as a people. We're going to hold each other accountable. To living according to that word. We are not Jews. Now, you might be a, there might be a Jew in the room, but for the most of us, most of us are just Christians. And I say just Christians because we're not God's people the way the Jews are. But we've got similarities because we're human. We've lived our lives without God and worshiped false gods. True? God revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and promised us a better life. But we would have to live by faith in his word. We would have to obey his word to have those things that God promised us. In a season of doubt or decision, many of us decided to let, leave the code and go live our own life. Come on now. Is that not true? And unless you're one of those perfect Christians who got saved, got on fire, and has been on fire for the last 50 years. Most of us have had a time where we've pulled away from God and we've not obeyed the word of God the way that we used to obey the word of God. Amen, that was fun. Out of love, God delivered us from the bondage of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb. Did Jesus save you? Okay, three of us. Man, what is going on in this room today? I feel like I've got you in shock. Has Jesus not led you to a better life? Yes. And revealed himself to you 
through time and trial and tribulation, you know more about God now than you have before. And you know God's never broke his word. You know he's kept his word to you. He's kept his promise. He's never lied to you. He's never broke his word to you. He keeps his code. Yet we often leave the code, the word of God, to worship false gods. We have a tendency to mix Christianity with a culture. Come on. So Joshua challenges the men of Israel to make a choice. Either stop serving false gods and start serving the one true God, or stop serving the one true God and worship your false gods, but quit playing this lukewarm game that you're playing. Scripture says in Revelation that he'd rather have you cold or hot because lukewarm makes him sick. God, that is. But Joshua, as for him and his house, they were going to serve the Lord. Those, those were going to be the house rules. And it wasn't going to be this halfway in, halfway out kind of thing. They were either all going to be in or they're going to be all the way out. He was either going to be hot on fire for God or he was going to be cold and dead. Where do you land in that, guys? Because there was this covenant to the code. And it would put them in submission to the word of God or separation from the word of God, one or two. And it would hold them accountable to a community. If you made the decision to follow God, to obey God. You were held accountable by the community, by the people that you were doing life with. And it was through your confession of a commitment. When you said you made a commitment to God, you put yourself under a place where you were held accountable to whether you were living it or not. Next week's going to be so much more fun. We're going to talk about pain and suffering. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> See, this is the way church used to be done. Because of Jesus Christ, people would make a covenant to the code. And through the church, the, the church would hold you as a community accountable to living the code. But we don't like living by that code. We don't, like, we don't live in a day where people want somebody holding them accountable. We live by a code that says we should respect everyone else's way of doing things, even if it's wrong, especially if it's me. Especially if it's blatantly against the word of God. And we're obsessed with it. It's called the code of non-judgmentalism. We're obsessed with being judged or not being judged. And we won't let anybody judge us. We don't let anybody look at our lives and say, hey, you might be doing that wrong. Oh, no, no, no. This is my truth. Your truth is a lie. But it's my truth. And then you're, st uh, let me just go on. This has become such a problem that preaching has almost lost its power because people, especially men, feel no conviction for their sin. The problem isn't the preaching. The problem isn't the Holy Spirit. The problem is the people who say, you can't judge me. People no longer repent, but they sure do rebel. Jesus said this in John chapter 16 and verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, 
the helper will not come to you. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Now, the, the world, I've heard some people say, well, that doesn't mean he, he doesn't judge Christians. Really? Better read the rest of your Bible. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. When you sin, what you're saying is, I don't believe what the word of God says. I can get away with this. I can do what I want to do without any condemnation or any correction. Not true. Concerning righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Meaning that Jesus wasn't going to be there to challenge them personally to follow the code. He gave us his spirit and place that Spirit of God within us so that the Spirit of God would help us hold to the code. That's where conviction comes from. That's where we're convicted by our sin. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, meaning judgment day is coming. See, people don't look for a sermon to call out your sin and to call you to repentance. We don't want sermons like that. We want to search a sermon for a series of sentences that satisfies what we're seeking. Something interesting, something new, something... We're not looking for God to get a hold of our hearts and transform us and convict us of what we're doing wrong because we don't like to be made to feel bad. We want the freedom to live life the way that we want. We don't want to be judged by anyone and one day you'll be judged by God. Now part of the problem I will confess is that people who call out others in breaking the code are often breaking the code themselves. Let me give you the scripture. Judge not that you be not judged. Stop. I'm only stopping because that's not the end of the context. But that's where we like to stop. That's what we like to quote. You can't judge me. That's not what it's saying. Judge not that you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not saying don't judge. It says be careful how you judge. I've learned this about sin. Temptation can often be a speck while rebellion is always a log. What do I mean by that? Temptation you can get caught in and be controlled by. But rebellion is something you know something's wrong and you still choose to do it. Again, this passage does not say do not judge. It says be careful in how you judge. If you're going to claim someone's breaking the word of God, you better be living it yourself. Because their problem isn't always what they're doing. The problem is, is you're looking at it through the lens of your, they're looking at it through the lens of your sin. First Peter 4.17, Peter says this, For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it starts with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Where we men help each other in this journey called life and hold each other accountable to the code that we've committed to when we've called upon Jesus to be our Savior. I'm not saying 
You ladies aren't included in this. I'm just talking to the men today, though. Because I, I don't want them to squeeze out of it and by saying, oh, yeah, but what about my wife? Don't worry about your wife. Let's worry about you. Let me, let me show you how this works, how this idea of somebody agreeing to the code and then being held accountable to the code. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What was the problem? They were, they were losing hope. And they were waffling back and forth in their faith. For he who promised is faithful. God is always faithful. Amen. God never breaks the code. God always keeps his word. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Meaning, uh, I like the King James Version where it says provoke. Provoke means sometimes we need to be pushed, directed, corrected. To what? To do lo be loving and have good works. But even when this was written, the book of Hebrews was written, there was a problem in the church that was happening, and that is that people weren't attending services. They weren't gathering together. They didn't see the necessity of helping each other and let other people help them out. Because if you go to church and someone calls you out on your sin, you're going to go find another church that won't call out your sin or doesn't even know about your sin. Amen? Woo! I'm going to stand up in a minute. It's going to get more fun. So what was happening, even, even, even 40, 50 years after Jesus left the earth, people were skipping out on this responsibility of provoking one another into love and good works. And people were stepping out of being provoked into love and good works. But encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the draw, day drawing near. Let me ask you a question. How close are we to the end times? Come on, those of you knowledgeable Christians, how close are we to Jesus coming back and we not having another chance to do anything on this earth? We are closer than ever before. And I've been in this for 25 years. I've been in church for 58. And when I was a kid, I remember the preacher talking about Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Let me tell you something. He's coming back more now than he's ever been. Are we more faithful or less faithful to the house of God? And how do we like it when somebody calls us out on it? Everything gets quiet, and I think it's because you don't want to respond because you think I'm going to say something. I'm just trying to provoke you into love and good works. I'm trying to help you hold to the code. But how many times do we have excuses for why we can't gather together? We can't assemble together. There used to come a time when, when faithful church attendance was every other week. That was 15 years ago. Now it's every five weeks. That's considered to be a faithful Christian. Not according to Hebrews chapter 10. If we see the day approaching and the end of the, the world is coming closer and closer and closer, we should be more faithful, not less faithful. But how many of you men like the fact that I'm calling you out? Because you're breaking the code. I'm going to put a yellow streak on your back. <laughs> Springfield, that was a good movie. Let's read another one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. 
For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Let's hold you to a code. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. How many of you men like to be called out for not going to work? You can't. Yes, I can. I'm just reading you what 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says. You're mean, Pastor Andy. I'm just trying to get you to hold to a code. Remember, you're supposed to, in the 40s and 50s, you were supposed to provide for your family and you were supposed to protect your family. And there's a lot of men today that aren't doing that. But you surely can't say something to them because they'll come up with an excuse and a reason why there's no jobs. And we're at what, 3% unemployment now? See, Genesis 3 is the fruit of man's, said that the fruit of man's sin is work. We go to work because of sin. Or we sin because we don't go to work. Welcome to New Life. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I really am. Okay, I'll go to another one. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist, insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So I want you to insist on these things so that those who say they believe in God, those who have said they're going to hold to a code, may be careful to devote, to devote themselves to good works. That's a challenge to the man. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And what he was talking about was the mercy of God, the salvation of God. But then he goes on to say this. We're going to have fun with this. But avoid foolish controversies. Avoid foolish controversies on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, genealogies. Who was born when? What was born to who? Is Jesus really the Christ? Yes, he is. Dissensions, quarrels about the law. I'm so tired of arguing about the Bible. It is true. Shut up. <laughs> Start arguing about stuff that you're not even living anyway, and it's probably an Old Testament law anyway. I always say this, don't list it until you can live it. But you just want to argue about what the Bible says. You want to know why you argue about what the Bible says? Because you don't want to obey it, so you've got to find an excuse to why it's wrong. Or why I'm wrong. They're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he's self-condemned. I am so tired of arguing with people over stupid things and telling them and warning them. Be careful where you're going with that. And then saying, 
You, don't, you can't tell me what to do. Okay, go ahead. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not going to have nothing to do with you if you're just going to keep stirring dissension. I... I do not attend the Hillsong Church. I do not care what Hillsong does. And I think some of you wasted a lot of time worrying about things that are stupid. Because you've got nothing else to argue about. Like, there's no other problems in the world but what's going on with Hillsong Church. But that's what you want to talk about. Knowing this person is warped and sinful. You want to argue about politics. Politics will not save the world. It has its place. God put it in place. So if you're going to complain about politics, complain about God. He put them in place to help us out on this planet. And they don't always do the right thing. But how many of you just want to sit and argue about politics? We're coming up into a political season and everyone's starting to get stirred up and I'm saying, shut up. <laughs> James 4.17 says, so whoever knows to do the right, th the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know what's right and you're not doing it, it's sin. But nobody wants to be called out on that. See, the problem with the code is without accountability, you're not going to live it. It's hard to live. Living by the word of God without help to hold us accountable is almost impossible. You need help. And so let me give you two ways you can get help. Guys, this is for you. Accountability happens in the pulpit. Amen? Scripture says I'm supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. One positive, two negatives. Stop telling me we need to be more positive all the time. This is a sinful world filled with sinful people, and it's even, been in, it's even in the church. So sometimes preachers need to preach things that you don't like. It may not make you happy because I'm touching on something that you're dealing with or you're not dealing with. Amen? Second Timothy chapter four and verse two says, "Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all complete with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves Facebook people, YouTubers, whatever tickles their their own passions." But we don't want to go to a church where the preacher actually preaches something that deals with our sin. We like it when he preaches on their sin, and I'm happy about that. But we don't like it when he preaches on our sin. Guys, you love it when I get on your wives for not being godly wives. But you don't like it when I get on you about being an ungodly husband. And there's a reason why your prayers aren't answered, because you're not treating your wife right. I enjoy preaching, I really do. 
See, the problem with the pulpit is our culture doesn't respect elders. Do you know for every pastor who abuses their position, you use that as an example of why you can't respect whatever pastor you have. While there's thousands of pastors that have not cheated on their wives, one pastor cheats on his wife, and every pastor is going to cheat on his wife. And you hold me accountable to whatever bad pastor you had. Because he was a jerk, and I'm going to be a jerk. And I'm probably a jerk, but I'm a jerk for a different reason. <laughs> See, when I was a young believer, when I was about 29 years old, I was reading the Bible, and I read the story of David being chased by King Saul. And David was innocent in... in um, Saul was trying to hold him accountable, or Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was, him accountable. Saul was trying to kill him. And David had an opportunity, and some say a right to kill King Saul. But David said this, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. See, you've got to protect the position of the pastor, because if you tear it down, you're going to tear down the words that he preaches. And the words that he preaches are the words of God. I never agreed with everything my pastor said or did. But there was a code to me that was taught to be cautious. We're not cautious anymore. We just have the culture of cutting people off. It's a cancel culture that's becoming greater in the church than ever before. We just cancel people out because we don't like what they say. If you don't like what I do or you're offended at what the preacher says... Though he abides by the code of the word of God, the problem must be him. So you find somebody whose code you agree with who will tell you what you want to hear. That's why younger pastors are compromising the word of God more often now because they want you to like them. I'm just old enough that I don't care. <laughs> you say, you're cold-hearted. No, I love you. I give my life for you. But don't be mad at me for giving you the truth. See, until men allow for conviction in their life, according to the code of the word of God, wives will not be loved biblically. I'm going to say that again. Until you allow for conviction in your life to come from the pulpit, you're not going to love your wife the way the Bible tells you to. Children aren't going to be raised by the nurture and the admonition of the Lord unless you're willing to feel conviction for your sin. Men will never change, and the Holy Spirit will never be listened to if you don't open yourself up to let conviction of the Holy Spirit challenge you in the way you're living your life. That's what the pulpit does. It partners with the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin that you're doing in your life. And I don't even know what sin you're doing. Don't come up to me afterwards and tell me, because I'll probably be preaching on it next week, and it had nothing to do with you until you said something, then you made it about you, and it wasn't about you. And then you pat yourself on the back. He's preaching about me. <laughs> I've pastored so many of you for so many years, and you've never changed. Why? Because you've stopped feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because you don't like the way that I say it, or what I say, or how I say it, or where I'm coming from. And all I'm doing is quoting Scripture most of the time. I'm just telling you what he said. Be mad at him. It's also, how does this? How does this accountability happen? It happens in person. 
What, what if I said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord and begin to live by the code of the word of God? And what if the men of this church would be open to being challenged in areas they can't see? Not challenged by your wife, challenged by another man in the church who might see something in you that they, they're a little bit nervous about and they want to help you with that. And they come to you and say, hey, here's what the scripture says about this. I just noticed this. You're not treating your wife well. Let me just, Hebrews chapter, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I can see that you love yourself, but I don't see that you love your wife. How mad would you be if somebody came up to you and did that? What if we decided to covenant together to be sure that when we challenge each other, we are clean of our own sin so that our conversation might be clear, seen clearly? See, what I don't want to do is unleash what I saw years ago, which was a, which was a blood fest of judgmentalism that was going on. People were judging each other for sin and calling each other out on sin, but they themselves weren't living according to the word of God themselves. Let me tell you something. Don't call somebody out for having an affair if you're stealing the tithe. I'll be back around in a minute. Just want you to... Come on now. Don't complain about what your church is doing if you're stealing from it. Don't call somebody out on not attending church if you're not being faithful to God in other areas of your life. But wouldn't it be refreshing if you didn't get offended and you just listened to what they had to say? Because what they're doing is they're trying to help you live this Christian life in a better way. It gets down to the bottom of the page and I can't see. That's why I put my glasses on. What if somebody comes to you with the scripture and challenges you and at least you'd be willing to contemplate the truth of what they're saying without getting offended and seeing it as a friend trying to hold you to, to a code that you committed to. You, as a man committing to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've committed to trust and obey the word of God. What if somebody sees you not doing that and they call you out on that? Why is that a bad thing? Because this culture says you can't judge me. Because this culture says you can do whatever you want. Even if it's wrong. That's not the culture God intended. He intended us to live by the code. He intended us to see that the word of God was good for us. Joshua 24, 24 says, And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice will we obey. We made a commitment. You ever make a commitment to that with God? Like that to God? I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to give you my life. What your word says, I'm going to do. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. That's the code. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it near the terabith, which is a big oak tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone 
shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. What's Joshua saying? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And I somehow got a word messed up. And oil in the same spiritual, we ate all the oil and spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. The rock that Joshua was saying that heard the words of the children of Israel was Jesus Christ. Jesus was the witness against them. And he's finally tuned into your heart this morning. He's finally tuned into your heart this morning. Guys, he is paying attention to what you're feeling right now. He can tell whether you're rejecting his calling to live by a code. He's, he's recognizing that there's some rebellion going on in there. He's also recognizing that your heart might be soft to it and you're being submissive to the word of God. He delivered us from our sins and gave us new life and he wants, us, he wants to know your answer, who you're going to serve today. False gods of this culture or surrender your life to the one true God and stop playing the mix. I can clean the building out, most of it, just by making that statement. You choose this day who you're going to serve. Elijah said. It's not about controlling people. We're not trying to control people. We're trying to challenge you to hold to the code of the word of God that you said that you would submit yourself to. And we do that from the pulpit and we do that in person. See, I want to be the best husband I can be. Hold me accountable. I want to be the best father I can be. Hold me accountable. I want my preachers and my people to hold me accountable because it's hard to do. I want to be the best employer, employer or employee I can be. Hold me accountable. More importantly, I want to honor God by being the best Christian I can be. Hold me accountable. When you see me driving down the road and I flip off somebody in front of me, hold me accountable. Call me up and say, hey, I just saw you driving down the road. Not a good look for a pastor. I want, and I believe that for most of the men in the building. I think you want to do right by God. I think you want to obey the word of God. I think you want... To, to live your life according to the word of God. I think you want to live by the code. But you've got to be willing to be held accountable to it, or you won't. Could you imagine how different your life would have been if you would have listened to the guys that told you you were doing wrong things? would have been open to the challenge from the word of God when it's been preached. Something that you're doing in sin that's been preached on and you would have just submitted to that, surrendered to that. 
and started living by the code, how different your life would be. Preachers aren't here to beat you up. The older I've gotten, the softer I've gotten, physically and. How nice would it be if there were guys in the church that you got to know They would see things in you that said, hey, I know you can be better at that. And then you listen to it when they said, hey, this is what I'm seeing in your life. This is what the scripture teaches. Instead of getting all defensive and getting all, you can't judge me. Okay, we, you should know them by your fruit, Jesus said, so we'll just wait until it bears fruit and then we'll... You will not say anything because you weren't listening to us anyway. You should want the preacher to have the freedom to preach hard without getting all upset or hurt or without leaving because he didn't like what he said. And you should appreciate it, when, especially when an older man, a more mature man, that's Paul told Timothy to tell those mature men to teach those younger men. When a mature man sees you're not treating your wife right and he tells you, hey, you know what, let me help you with that. Let him help you with that. It's, it's way cheaper to listen to him than it is to listen to a counselor or listen to a divorce court judge. We're just trying to help you. We're not trying to control you. We're not trying to condemn you. We are trying to help you. As for me and my house, what are you going to do? Then let's stand. I know I've gone, wrong, long, gone long, but can you give me just a few minutes, please? I know it's taking a little while, but where's the ushers? Give me my ushers. We're going to take communion together. And what I'd like to do, I'm, I want everyone included, but I, I want the guys to pay attention closely. Communion is about this new covenant between God and man, and it's through Jesus Christ. This is his body that was broken for you, and we do that to remember that. And this is his blood that was washed, this was shed for you. We do that in remembrance of what he gave us for the forgiveness of sins. Communion's about that new covenant between God and man. It was paid for by his punishment and sealed by his sacrifice. You get that? It's about your decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And the inner transformation of his cleansing of our sin through the word of God. It's about God's word being put in our hearts. But this isn't just a moment about what he did for us in the past. It's a moment about 
what he's going to do in the future. Let me just read a verse real quick. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming back. And he said in the Gospels that he's going to come back and he's going to have communion with us again. I want to sit at the table with Jesus. And I want to know that I live by the code to the best of my abilities. I may not have been perfect, but I want to know that I live by the code the best I could. I don't want him to tell me, you remember when so-and-so preached this message and you didn't listen to it? Oh, that could have changed your life. Or when that friend of yours, that church guy came up to you and said, hey, I noticed you're not treating your wife right. How that could have changed your marriage. If you just would have listened. I want to sit at that table with him knowing I did the best I could and being surrounded by people who helped me along the way. Let's go ahead and share communion. Let's go ahead and grab a cup, grab a cracker. There's two back here and there's one up front. Could we get the next verse up there, Kai? Thank you for your patience. I'm glad we don't have horns on us, otherwise it would be... Guys, I just want to say, I, we need to help each other. We need to not be so prideful that we can't let somebody help us. I've said this a million times and I'll say it again. Part of the problem is we don't know each other. You need to get to know the guys in your church. Take them out to lunch. Is there any for me? Oh, no, that's okay. They're coming. Thank you. You're such a good person. One of the ways you do that is you get to know people by serving together. 
Say, okay, here we go. Yep. You get to know people by serving together. You get to know each other by doing things together. Take them out to lunch. Don't take me out to lunch. I've got plenty. Take somebody you don't know and just say, hey, I've noticed you. You seem like you're a spiritual guy. Let me talk. Share your heart with each other. Be honest with each other. Build a relationship that you can trust when they come to you and they're saying something. They're not saying something just to be judgmental. They're saying something because they want to help you. And guys, those of you, especially you older guys who've been following Jesus for a long time, you should be taking some of these younger guys out to coffee and asking them, how can I help you? How can I be a mentor to you? Some of you are as old as Moses. Man, the things we could learn from you. (laughs) And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, the younger guys don't want to have anything to do with me. That's not true. They don't want anything to do with the judgmental you. But they want something to do with the spiritual you.